right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 270. And with that number, we will look back. Well, we won't look back. We'll just honor the 270 matches that have been played in the eight editions of the Women's World Cup since 1991. The tournament has grown from a 12-team event that first year, expanding to 16 teams in 1999, expanding again to 24 teams in 2015, and now the next tournament in 2023 will feature 32 teams. Deadline for potential host countries for the next tournament to submit final bids is coming up. It's December 13th, and we will finally know the host country for the 2023 Women's World Cup by May 2020. Uh, Several countries are bidding. You can check out the Wikipedia page. It's really cool to, to see that process unfold. Anyway, two chats today, neither of them about the Women's World Cup. Very focused on NCAA soccer right now. My first chat was with former U.S. national team star, current ACC network analyst Angela Hughley's. We talked about the launch of that network, her role calling games for one of the most competitive soccer conferences in the country, and which ACC team she thinks has the best chance of going all the way in this year's tourney. We also talked a little bit about new U.S. women's national team head coach Vladko Anonofsky. And then I caught up with Travis Clark from TopDrawerSoccer.com to get his thoughts on this year's bracket, the first round games played last weekend, and any special players we should be watching out for during this tournament. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here talking to Angela Hughley's former U.S. national teamer, of course, former WSA player. I love referencing that league. But most importantly, Angela, you you called uh, games on the ACC network, the first ever soccer season on the new network. You got to call games with with, with Jen Hildreth. So I, yeah. I really want to hear about, about that network and calling those games this season. I mean, that's huge. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it was so fun. I mean, for... For me personally, just to be able to um, go from the professional level to the collegiate level uh, was was a lot of fun, a lot of repetition, and just so amazing to see with this new ACC network now, too, just so many more women's soccer games and opportunities to watch and to see the development and the growth of the game and uh, to be able to do that um, with Jen Hildreth as well, who who knows the sport and has, has been at every level as well. Um, and, to, and to get excited about really the future of women's soccer. I think uh, there's so much going on in the game right now, not just soccer, um, you know, as a whole, but specifically women's soccer, you know, um, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit uh, later, but on the national team level with um, Blacko being named the new, the new coach, uh, and then just seeing the development and the skill at the collegiate level and really the opportunities that I think will now exist for women in the sport and the growth of the game is, is quite remarkable to see um, and to be able to see that on a, a weekly basis um, and to see the talent, to see the growth within one season as well. Um, it's just really exciting. Well, because we talk about so much, I and mean, we see so much coverage of the national team, the World Cup bump, um, you know, growth of NWSL, but the whole undercurrent 
and that's not even a fair word for it of, of NCAA where there's, you know, more mm-hmm. than 300 division one programs and then you've got division two and all the other levels and to see more and more investment uh, from more schools, more conferences, to see something like ESPN launching the ACC network. And the first ever live broadcast on the network was women's right. soccer. Was, you know, yeah. you and Jen Hildreth calling, what was it, Florida State versus, don't remember. But, uh, um, oh, <laughs> yeah. <I was laughs> it's like, all a Yeah. You know, so, yeah, so that it's like, yeah, that there, there's you know, a value to having those games, you know, on, on a network and not just uh, on the network, but also there's ACC network extra. So you've got the stream. And, and what I love that it means that during this time of year, when we get to the NCAA tournament, every mm-hmm. single game is available to watch. It was just three or four years ago when I started to try to put out the information of how to watch the NCAA tournaments. It was hit or miss each round school by school, what you could watch. And now it's like every single one is available. Now, some of them you may have to sign up for a service, but all of them are, are being streamed. And even on the, uh, you know, your, your weaker conferences and, you know, getting into division two, you're starting to see that too. They may not be the most professional streams, but, you know, but you can watch. And, and that's what I like is, is the access We're we're all curious about it. And, and I feel like we're at this juncture of really big growth coming, uh, you know, for NWSL and, and on the net, on the international landscape. And, but I feel like a lot of it will be coming out of NCAA. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I think you're absolutely right because I mean, just even having the access to see these games, it just broadens early exposure, right, to the sport. Um, it shows the opportunities that exist. And, you know, when you're able to see it, then you can believe that possibility for yourself. So I think you're going to start to see uh, more participation at, at younger levels um, for, mm-hmm. uh, for women, for boys, for girls. Um, and then also just more excitement around following teams, following individual players that you'll start to see at this college level. And then you get to see at a professional level. So you're actually having an earlier opportunity to learn stories, to learn players. So then it just becomes more fun, right? To, to see where your favorite player is then going to be placed in, and drafted to a professional right. team in the league, right? So you, you have this connection, an earlier connection to people um, within the sport. And, and that just grows and deepens the fan base as well. Um, so I think by creating more of these opportunities, creating more exposure, um, you know, through the ACC network um, that ESPN has done, you know, obviously ESPN p- picked up the professional league midway through the season. Um, uh, the summer, it just provides a better fan experience, you know, and, and I think there are just so many different opportunities for the fans, for individual players, for the sport, just by providing more access to view. Um, and, and that viewership right. is so important to, to the growth. Well, and what made me happy about ACC Network is that it, since that's, it's not just streaming, right? It's an actual yep. TV network. It means that right. at, at, soccer bars and pubs it's something that will just be casually on the screen and 
as, as much as we're kind of becoming a streaming society, there is still that TV edge of public spaces where, you know, a huge restaurant that has a wall of TVs. And we see this all over the place. Those are never going to be set to streams, right? Those are going to be set to easy to access channels. So I, I love the more we can get women's soccer of any level on a TV, on a regular channel that shows sports, it has more chance of just casually being on a big screen. Yeah. That makes sense. And it's about the experience, right? It's, I mean, sports are so much about an experiential event. It's not just the talent. It's having right. this, uh, you know, be something fun and entertaining. I mean, in our culture, uh, especially in the United States, it's about having this um, event happen that you can have fun with, a whole experience around whether you're bringing the family or you're going out with a, a group of friends. Uh, and to be able to have what you typically do, you know, if you're going to a sports bar and you're, and you're being able to watch a game on, on the telly, <laughs> you know, you're, yeah. you're able to kind of continue that. But now you just have more options and you're seeing, you know, some new fresh talent essentially on your screen um, or you're, be, you're being able to um, stream that or you're able to actually go to the venue and see it. So um, these are just all, you know, great elements that, um, you know, will help the fan experience, but also just the growth of the game. Well, and I would also think for someone like you who is often called like conference tournaments to call games throughout the season, then you get to that conference tournament and you already know these teams so well, right? Like, like you and Jen had the benefit of week in, week out, like, you know, those ACC teams, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, for me, it, it was actually getting to know even some new players because, um, you know, previously we didn't have this type of access and, you know, things, you know, you're kind of more reliant on the information that might be on uh, the team's website, um, you know, or you're just seeing a handful of teams more consistently or not seeing uh, as many in terms of a, a broad spectrum. Um, of teams. Right. And, you know, when you look at specifically the ACC, it's such a top conference uh, with quality players and, and teams that, I mean, you know, you start to get to, to know these players, you get to know the teams, um, you know, you start to have your own predictions of what's going to happen when it comes NCAA tournament time. And, you know, obviously just seeing how well um, at least the ACC teams especially uh, are doing right now too, um, you know, you can start to almost predict a pathway, um, not just for where these colleges are going to end up. But again, when you go back to these players, you can start to pick out and see, listen, this is a player that might have a future in this game um, professionally and, and perhaps even internationally as well. Well, so let's talk about some of the, the ACC uh, teams. So we, we're on the verge of the second round of the NCAA tournament. So mm-hmm. down to 32 teams. Um, every ACC team that made the tournament, except for Virginia Tech, has advanced yeah. to the next round. And of course, you also have some ACC teams hosting at this point, like, of course, North Carolina and Virginia, who were the final, the finalists in the, in the ACC conference tournament. Um, you know, who do you think of the ACC teams has the chance to go all the way to the final four? I definitely think, um, and especially after looking at the ACC championship weekend in that tournament, I think UNC has a really great chance of making it all the way. Um, 
I think UVA also would be in, in that top group. Um, but I think UNC was a team, at least during the regular season, that I saw continuously improve. And they already started with a great foundation, right, and a great base right. um, in terms of the talent, the depth. Um, you know, they have always been a team historically that you will see essentially two teams within their one roster because of the way that Anson uses his bench and and not just uses his bench, but the, the quality and the depth that actually exists on the bench as well. So um, they were a team that I think – um, started off well and just continuously got better. They um, did some tweaking and most recently at the end of the season, you know, even switching their formation um, a little bit to what they saw were, were challenges. Um, but I think because they were able to adapt so well, um, that just made them stronger. They were able to then play two systems, you know, like a three, five, two or four, four, two very effectively. Um you know, almost almost kind of on the fly. So to be able to have that tactical understanding and awareness where you don't necessarily have a coach needing to sit down the players, going through a few training, training trainings during the week, going through film, but to be able to adapt like that and also recognize it um, on the fly during a game, uh, you could just, just, you could start to see that evolution of the players, um, and the team as a whole at the, at the end of the season. So I think to be able to do that, that's something that will serve them very well, um, no matter who they face in the NCAA tournament. And I think will ultimately help them, uh, reach the final. Well, and talk to me about NC State. Like they seem, they seem poised to go further than they've been in a long time. Yeah, I think they have some great quality. I think they have caught some teams by surprise. Um, they're a strong, physical, athletic team, um, and you know, ZR King is is definitely their their front leader in terms of goal score um, for their team. But I think they also combine really well their combination play I think was some of the best it just wasn't consistent enough um, throughout the season and I think that's where they faltered a little bit weren't able to pull out the three points in some games Um, but I think they're a team definitely to watch out for especially uh, in the near future Um, I think once they start to get on the same page a bit more um, are able to read off of one another more systematically, more fluidly, that's going to that's gonna be a very dangerous NC State team. And I think just being able to add that layer of sophistication um, tactically and then, and then also cleaning up some, some technical ability too. I think they would show the right ideas a lot of times, which is the first step, uh, but then just technically being able to consistently hit that ball on a dime, right, to, to a player to play and move the ball a little bit more quickly uh, and efficiently uh, to be able to move teams and, and shift teams. Um, those are the things that I think as they start to add and, and build to the repertoire, they will become even more dangerous because they have some of the, the great um, fundamental elements already there. And then, uh, you know, also tell me about Louisville because, you know, they had yeah. a pretty strong season, 12 wins on the season. And, you know, that's, that's not a name that we hear a lot uh, when it comes to women's college soccer, but they had a great season and Hey, NWSL is going to Louisville in 2021. 
Yeah, right. And, and I think, um, you know, what's exciting about them, too, is, um, you know, not necessarily a, a long-standing ACC team. They, they came to the conference, um, um, you know, a few years back. Uh, but I think that's kind of where their adjustment was, was really just upping their level um, to the competition uh, that they have now had in the ACC over the last few years and, and being able to understand, um, you know, even the training that it takes out, outside of their, their regular season, that they're, they're well coached, um, they're organized, um, and they're definitely a team that I think, um, again, they have some of the technical elements already there, um, a couple of international players on their team um, that have been able to, to kind of layer in some of that sophistication. But um, I think just seeing that they're already organized um, has been a little bit of a secret to, to their success this season. And again, the more that these teams are competing against top uh, opponents day in and day out, you know, that's just going to help develop their, their own individual programs. And, and Louisville, I think, is a, a testament to that. And of course, I have to bring up Florida State defending champ who got a, got a number one seed, though they did have five losses on the, on the season. But, you know, thoughts on do you think they'd be able to pull off back to back titles? I mean, that, that very rarely happens. Right. I, I think um, I, I wouldn't put my money on them to pull off the actual title again you just never know what can happen and i think that's one of the things that makes um the women's college game so exciting is, is because of the parity that exists um you know across the country in in the women's game i think they have a few things in terms of um a few weaknesses that they showed that they definitely try to work on and and did improve when it came to um defending off of set pieces they there was a, a game that I called early in the season where um, they had three goals off of corner kicks that um, that three goals against them off of corner kicks, you know, and so definitely that focus to um, being able to mark a little bit tighter uh, because they would do more of a zonal type of defense. Um, but then being able to pick up in that zone, you know, when your player comes into the zone, be able to pick up a little bit more quickly and efficiently uh, to put a, a body on that player. Um, those were the, some of the things that they tried to work on, which, which got better. Um, for me, they are, um, again, I think well coached. They have the understanding of, of coming into a professional environment and what it takes to uh, compete at that level. They've been there before. They've done it before. They've won the championship. Um, and I just think that they have a few um, a few exposures that they haven't necessarily been able to correct as the season has gotten um, longer. And so now, now that it's in the postseason, is that a little bit too late? And just having um, more of that urgency to really kind of strike um, offensively and, and be able to create those um, goals or actually I, I would say execute um, and finish those goals once they've been able to create those opportunities. And that's a little bit of where I think they had been lacking because they have definitely got the talent um, on their team. And I think that's what makes them dangerous. Um, and they definitely have that confidence uh, and understanding of what it takes. So um, if they're able to quickly get those other little weak points um, corrected and get better and really start to, I think, kind of pick up their level uh, a couple of notches, then they would definitely have a chance. I'm just not sure if, if they'll be able to do that in time. 
Well, and, and a little bit more fun question for you as, as we kind of segue to talking about Vladko and Anoski and the national team. If, if you were, um, if you were Vladko and you were still coaching in NWSL and we know that he's so into the college draft, which okay. ACC player would be the one that you just have to have for your, your club roster? Mm, I think Emily Fox. Um, she's at, at UNC, um, mm-hmm. a player who has actually had some full national team experience. Uh, right. And she is a player, especially when you look at um, the higher levels, you know, she can play an outside back, but has that attacking mentality. She's technically gifted, um, understands the game tactically. She has got great movement, great speed, uh, has the ability to take on 1v1, and then also um, can defend well and, and quickly transition. And I think to be able to have those skill sets at an outside back position um, is something that I feel like any any team can use and, and actually wants, um, and it's you know quite desirable. So I think if I had to pick one person in that collegiate game, then I think it would be her. And then, so we started the, that Vladko Ananovsky era began <laughs> uh, not too long ago with, with two friendlies, the U.S. beat Sweden 3-2, and then uh, a nice shutout win over Costa Rica. Saw some yeah. first caps uh, from yeah. Midge Purse and, and now I'm totally blanking on, oh, Alana Cook. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on, you know, thoughts on what you've seen so far under the new head coach? Um, I mean, I think right now it's, um, I've, I've been pleased. I think, um, there's more that he could do to mess things up than, you know, necessarily improve, but obviously coming off of, um, the, the tremendous wins that this national team has had recently and, uh, the personnel that he has to work with. Um, you know, I think for Vlaco, it's really just fine tuning a few things, um, bringing his his own uh, look to the game and and to the national team, but I think the biggest thing is really the excitement around him being named the new head coach and and having um, a fresh look and opportunity. Anytime you have a new national team coach, that means two things. It means if you're an existing player, you you're doing everything you can to maintain your spot and ensure. Uh, that coach that you still belong to that team. Um, but it's also an opportunity for other players who might not have had looks in the past to get those looks and opportunities to play, to get their first caps. And I think that's an excitement um, that can only really come when you have uh, the naming of a new coach and, and especially one that's, that's very well liked and respected um, at that level. So, you know, everyone knows that Blacko is um, a student of the game himself and an extremely passionate about football and brings that that quality um, wherever he goes. And to be able to have someone step into that type of role, you know, very challenging position as the head coach of uh, the, the number one team in the world um, and to be able to manage different personalities um, and really kind of pull all those pieces together. You know, he's really um, a little bit of a, a puzzle solver um, and to be able to, to mesh the right personalities, the right uh, look on the field to maintain that consistency. And and I think the next step for him really is how does he 
um, elevate their game a little bit so that they can continue to win. And, you know, while the rest of the world is catching up or, or caught up, you know, there's definitely more of a tactical and strategic look to this uh, position than I think ever really has been before. And always having to keep an eye on the future beyond the Olympics next summer to, you know, the the constant development that has to be happening. Um, You know, it was was really great to see, uh, you know, Lynn Williams get capped again, Aubrey Bledsoe get called into camp, you know, again, Mitch Purse, who we've seen in camp before, finally get her first cap. And we know there's a December um, camp coming up which will yeah. not have any of the World Cup players, um, probably won't have any of the players playing in Australia right now. So that'll really open it up to, you know, to players who often aren't called in. And I think that's what I'm most excited about, even though I know that players called in in December will have a pretty slim chance of having an impact in the next six months, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, we always have to be, looking ahead. I mean, it's such a quick turnaround to the Olympics, but as soon as that that's over, I mean, I think back to fall 2016, it was like, boom, Jill was handing out first caps left and right. And we, you know, if we want to stay ahead, we have to always keep moving. Yeah. And I mean, and that's his his advantage too, is coming from the NWSL, you know, obviously one of the top leagues, if not the top in, in the world professionally for women. And, you know, he, he, he very well knows, you know, all of those players and has a great uh, pool to select from, you know. So I think, you know, that's where having him in that role, um, he can easily do that and know exactly who he wants to have a look at as well. Yeah. So any thoughts on, on the U.S.'s last two games of 2019 wrapping up the year? Uh, you know, with, with two wins, two very different games, obviously playing yeah. Sweden this late in the year. I mean, that that game, you know, we thought it'd be close. U.S. goes ahead <laughs> 3-0 in the first half. Sweden comes <laughs> back with two goals, you know, and it was like freezing temperatures. But, you know, that's so challenging to play a team of that caliber this late in the year and when it's been a yeah. long, exhausting year. Absolutely. And, you know, and time and time again, too, even throughout the NWSL season and talking to the different players and, you know, everyone um, – not just the U.S. players, but anybody who played and competed in the World Cup, you know, had a different process of how they had to get themselves back into the NWSL season, both mentally and physically. Uh, and that looked very different from a lot of players, from you know, someone like Marta, who jumped right back in pretty much, and, and Sam Kerr, you know, jumped right back in to practicing and playing in, in their games, um, to, you know, players who just kind of, needed to take some time off, you know, and in order to be fresh and be at their best again uh, for the rest of the season. So, um, you know, when you look at competing against a, a top international team like Sweden and and you're basically using the majority of those players who've had um, a very challenging uh, physically and mentally year already, you know, that's that's not that surprising, right? To see that type of scoreline, to see that type of game, you know, three to two, or to get up early, uh, but then also to to give up some goals. But I think, um, you know, and Costa Rica is a completely different team. So, um, right, I think you know, you alluded to that with the December camp. I think that's what really makes that December camp so exciting, is because you know m- the majority of those players, if not all, will have 
a different type of freshness, I think, to them, a different type of eagerness and um, edge uh, that they're going to try to prove themselves to, to have these new opportunities um, consistently for them in the future. Um, and they haven't necessarily had that type of strain. They've had different types of challenges, you know, with with the the World Cup going on this summer, but they've had, um, you know, perhaps they'll, they'll have a more fresh legs and, and mind going into this camp. Um, so it'll give, give Blacko some, some good decisions and, and some hard probably ones decisions to make. Um, but again, he has the challenge of preparing for the Olympics, but preparing for the future. And I think it's always how do you um, finally do your selection process balanced way, you know, so that you're still developing people. You're not necessarily trying to to crush them, you know, mentally, but you're trying to uh, keep them excited for their next opportunity, whenever that, that can come. Yeah. It's gotta be such an incredible balance of, you know, motivation, but also Mm -hmm. realism of like, well, this is good, but this isn't. Right. But, uh, but I do, but I do want you shooting for the stars, but I don't want you to, right. you know, I, I, I do not envy that job. Let's, let's just put it that Me neither. So, <laughs> yeah, right. so last, last question for you, Ange, cause, cause I, I, I know yeah. I have to ask this question. Is this the year that Virginia goes all the way? You know, personally, <laughs> you know, now that I'm not, you know, calling a game and I, and I don't have to be as biased, uh, I hope so. Um, you know, they, they looked really good, I think, all season. And, and I think the exciting thing about Virginia is their depth and in every single position. Um, I think every single line have strong players. And, you know, you look all the way from the front line to the forwards, all the way to the back line and goal. Um, you know, we saw, unfortunately for them, Laurel Ivory, um, go down in the ACC tournament um, with an injury. And I believe, you know, she had to go into surgery is what I heard for her jaw. She broke her jaw um, in a couple of different places. So, um, you know, that's, that's definitely a loss for them. Um, But I think they, they play so nicely their, their possession. And it's a little bit similar, I would say to a Florida state in terms of just having that kind of urgency in the attack to really kind of, you know, capitalize on mistakes defensively and score those goals. And I think for them, if they are able to find ways to score early, I think that's helpful for them. But also, um, you know, being able to just kind of weather the storm a little bit and maintain that confidence that, you know, they'll get the win. So um, definitely, I think, a contender for it. Um, you know, just, just being an alum, obviously, I, I uh, wish them the best and hope that they succeed always. Um, but again, we'll see. I think that's just, again, the, the beauty of, of the sport at this level um, is so much more quality and, and parity in the game than there was five years ago, 10 years ago, and, and, and more from when I was playing in college. Um, and so, you know, you, you just never know any given day. Right. A, a different team can show up and completely shock you. Uh, but you have to be prepared for that. You always have to be prepared for that at this level. 
Yeah, Rutgers getting, you know, booted out of the first yeah. round by Central Connecticut State. That's right? probably not a storyline anyone would have written, but that. yeah, yeah, any given day. Well, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk U.S. national team and, of course, ACC. And and I'm assuming you'll be there on the sidelines in San Jose to, to cheer on Virginia if they make the, if they make the final four. <laughs> Wherever I'll be, I'll be cheering for them. So, <laughs> but thank you, Jen. Anytime. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Travis Clark of TopDoorSoccer.com. And that's the site that I love to go to when I need information on who's committed to college for soccer and obviously who's playing in college and how they're ranked. And Travis, that's all you, right? You're, you're on top of all that. I do my best. I wouldn't necessarily say on top, but uh, <laughs> you know, we, we try and highlight as many of the players that we can. And, of course, there's always the ones that – um, you know, there's just, it's a numbers game, right? And I'm looking at men's, looking at women's, um, and it can be a challenge to try to give everyone their due. But uh, now that it's tournament time, it's very exciting and happy to be on the show. Thanks for having me on. Well, and when when you first saw the bracket for this year's Division One tournament, 64-team uh, bracket, I mean, were there any surprises to you? No major shocks, really. I do think there are, you can really like, you can nitpick it for sure. You know, take a, a Florida State, for example, who went 0-5 against the top teams that they faced. They played against North Carolina, lost. They played Florida State. Uh, no, they are Florida State, sorry. They played UCLA, USC on a trip, lost to those two teams, and lost twice to the University of Virginia. So you had USC and UCLA as two seeds. You could, like, quibble and say, well, the ACC is overrated and maybe UCLA should have had that one seed. But as it is, I think the the Bruins, if they can make it to that quarterfinal and face the Seminoles, even if it's in Tallahassee, they won't hate that matchup. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm here talking the second or third round. And then, you know, there are, there are a couple of kind of crappy, I would say bad beats for some programs. Uh, Memphis comes to mind. They lost one to zero. They had a great season. I believe they won the American Athletic. And, you know, with the reward, the reward they got from the committee was a trip to Pullman, Washington, which is a, you know, it's obviously where Washington State plays. You know, you that's not even – there's no direct flights. I'm probably going to guarantee that. And you got to connect through Seattle or fly to Idaho and take a bus, whatever whatever the case. And then, you know, maybe Memphis should have had a – you know, that four seed that Penn State got, for example, which – you know, no disrespect to the Nitty Lions. Erica Donbach's done a great job there, but, you know, they basically caught fire at the end of the season and won the Big Ten tournament. So, oh, but again, that's that's quibbling. That's kind of splitting hairs a little bit. That's really diving into being super nerdy. So I think but on that's the whole, why, But that's why you're on, Travis. That's why people yeah. are listening is because we're super so, nerdy. So for the aggrieved Memphis women's soccer fans out there, I feel for you. <laughs> and... Uh, it does set up an inter- interesting matchup this weekend with Washington State going to Virginia, but uh, I, you know, I don't think there were any major surprises. The one seeds were pretty well deserved, and you know, I know I'm getting again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's hard to really see a, well, anyone outside one of the top two seeded teams actually making it to the College Cup. So I'm curious to see if any programs can uh, throw a wrench in my prediction and make me look make me look dumb, which is almost guaranteed. 
<laughs> Maybe Arkansas, who's been throwing a wrench in a lot of things this season. Yeah, I think they're actually a team you could – I should have mentioned them in terms of a – maybe a slight snub for a two seed. You go back, you look at, obviously South Carolina got a two seed in another quadrant and you look at Arkansas and say, well, you lost in the conference tournament final and that's why you didn't get that two seed. But I do think that, you know, the Razorbacks probably have the best shout amongst the non number one or two seeds of making it to the college cup for sure, or at least getting to play Stanford and getting beaten badly. (laughs) Well, and, I always think it's fascinating. I mean, I'd love to be a fly, you know, on on the wall when they're making this bracket because it's a 60-14 bracket. Uh, You have, I think it's what, 28, 30 uh, automatic Uh, bursts based based on winning your conference championship and the rest are at large. Uh, So obviously you've got your stronger conferences like the SEC, the ACC, the Pac-12, where – you know, you're you're not, you know, you're not out of luck if you didn't win your your conference. Um, but the most conferences, if you don't win, there's no way you're going. But but I would love to hear yeah. those discussions of like, okay, well, ACC is going to get this many slots this year, or but no, you know, this this second place team in this middling conference actually should be in there, and and looking at records and the rankings and. But but I do feel that, you know, there's still a bias, and I understand that bias, but there's still a bias to the traditional power school. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, you look at Pac-12 and ACC, which tied for the most tournament birds with nine apiece. That's no surprise. And I think the, the one, I don't want to call it a huge shock, but the Big 12 getting six in, obviously they had a mixed bag going over the weekend, but... I think they're a they they actually beat out the SEC this year, which surprises me. Now that I'm looking at that number, SEC just had five programs in, Big Twelve had six, and I'm I think this is a big weekend for the Big Twelve in general because you have a lot of you have a lot of they're usually looked at as well. West Virginia is going to be a, a power in the country, or they're not going to be good. And this season isn't necessarily reflective of that, where maybe the perception of the conference is a little bit diminished because West Virginia has not been a, like a perennial contender as they, I would say in the recent history of the pro the program have been, but on the flip side, you know, Kansas has a three seed, uh, Oklahoma state has a three seed, Texas tech has a four seed. Can any of those three kind of carry the banner and West Virginia is still in the mix too, where, you know, you had this freshman heavy team that beat Georgetown in, in DC last weekend to open the tournament. And, while the tournament itself doesn't necessarily, you know, it's not the be all end all when judging conferences against each other. It's the best measure in a way. So I'm curious to see if any of those three teams can not just win the second round, but, you know, can they emerge? Can Texas Tech go to Chapel Hill, beat Michigan and, you know, beat Carolina or Colorado if Colorado pulls off the upset. So I think it's a, it's a unique opportunity for a a program like that, uh, for a conference like that, for those schools to be like, all right, let's put the Big 12 on the map. Let's put our program on the map with a, you know, a marquee win should they get that matchup. And then, you know, on the other side of the bracket, I, I look at Brown um, advancing past Monmouth on penalties. Brown coached by Kia McNeil, who, you know, played in in the NWSL the first season. Um you know, Brown hadn't been in the tournament, I think, in 25 years or something like that. So not only to get back in the tournament 
but to advance. And now they get to play the defending champ, Florida State. Well, yeah, we were talking about bracket layouts, and that's a team that I think got you. You know, they got the shaft a little bit because not only is their second round draw against the defending champions in the ACC, uh, you know, this is after they they carried a, a top ten RPI, I believe, all the way to the end of the season. Maybe they finished at like ten or eleven. They drew their final game of the year, and then you know you're handed this game against Monmouth, which in that game matchup in and of itself, I feel like. Well, it's really hard to pit teams against each other, and you never really know. A lot of it's geographic, et cetera, et cetera. That was no mean feat, whereas, you know, you have Utah going all the way to Duke. So explain the logic to me in that. But, the, <laughs> you know, that that matchup, you know, just getting Mammoth in the first round was a little bit of a – I know that the Ivy League is probably not perceived in the way – you know, people don't think of the Ivy League as a soccer power or any kind of athletic power, but they did have a, have a pretty decent season, and I, I'm – I, I don't want to call Florida State overwhelming favorites in that one, even though they're clear favorites. They're at home. You know, they have a, a more quality probably and the the better team against that's played better programs this season. But, you know, anything can happen. I think that is kind of what makes while, – while, while the tournament itself overall is predictable, I think some of these games still be pretty close and not be, you know, double-digit. There, there shouldn't be a 15-0 to this weekend. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. And this weekend, unlike last weekend, where it was just the one game, the round of 64 played either Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This weekend, there's two games. So round of 32, Friday, round of 16, or the Sweet 16 on Sunday, all in the same location. Mm-hmm. So you only have only have eight hoes. So yep. how much do did, did teams um, plan around that? Or are they so used to... Uh, you know, season where you're playing a lot of Friday, Sundays, Thursday, Sundays, that it's, 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 it's not something that creates any kind of roadblock for them of like, Oh, now, you know, two games in three days. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because this is obviously the, the format of the college cup, which I think let's be honest, it's kind of completely insane to make yeah. these high level, the high level athletes play two games in three days. Soccer is not like most collegiate sports where, um, yes, the substitution rules are different, but I've been I've covered, I want to say, you know, five or six college cups in person, men's and women's, and the the level between the Friday games and the Sunday game is always just stark. And um, you know, there's a push from men's coaches and actually some women's D1 coaches to make the season a full year round, which you know we'll see if we ever get there. It looks. I mean, it's getting steam on the men's side, with, but a lot quieter on the women's side. But that's another discussion. I'm not going to go down that tangent. <laughs> uh, but I do think it, it has to factor into coaches' planning. You know, this is where the, the bigger programs will obviously separate themselves from the pack, right? If you're looking at the way, you know, in North Carolina plays where they, as, as much as it makes me cringe a little bit as a soccer fan, to watch them change four players at a time and, uh, you know, muck the game up like that, it's to their advantage to be able to do that, that they can, they, you know, they're used to it, they're drilled, and, you know, maybe their bench is a little bit shorter this weekend, but, you know, to have those kind of players to call upon, you know, and, and let's go beyond Carolina, right? Your Stanford, your Virginia's, your, your you know, your big programs where even I think Florida State's a little bit shorthanded at this point in the season. So I'm curious to see how that has an impact, especially, you know, let's 
assume that you know Stanford's playing Penn State on the third round on Sunday, and while Penn State's had a great year, they've also had three players go down with ACL injuries, so they're definitely going to be not just at the talent disadvantage that Stanford has on them, but they also then have you know a few fewer bodies that they can the coaches will really trust. So it's definitely an impact, and uh, I, I do. It's, just, it's also worth mentioning just to get the show out in time that the, that the games start on Thursday because BYU plays Thursday, Saturday, and not on Sunday. So that's that's going to throw a wrinkle on everyone's plans, but it gives them a chance to watch a couple games on Thursday night should they desire. Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. And, you know, who – you've already mentioned a little bit about who you might think get to the Final Four, but, you know, if you had to put money on someone who, you know, isn't one of your traditional powers, who who would it be to get to the Final Four? You know, if BYU is in any other bracket, I would think that they had a shot. But I don't know who's going to beat Stanford at this point. They're they're kind of growing on me as the the team to beat uh, amongst the whole field. I do think you know there's four teams heading to Tallahassee, South Florida, Washington, Florida State, Brown. I do think there's a potential for an upset there. Maybe that opens the door for a UCLA or Wisconsin to make it to the College Cup. But I, I don't know if there's going to be a a non-perennial power, so to speak, making it that far. It's it's really difficult to see. You know, I feel like it's going to be an all ACC slash Pac-12. Uh, yeah, all ACC slash Pac-12 field. Uh, you know, someone like I don't know if you consider South Carolina a, a perennial power, but um, you know, there's somebody that could definitely return. You know, they made it. What was it? To the 2017 College Cup down in Orlando. Mm-hmm. They were there with UCLA and Stanford and Duke and as the old cliche goes, defense wins championships, and they have one of the best defenses in the league. They have a great goalkeeper, Mikhail Krukowski. Apologies for mispronouncing your name, but I'm sure I just did. And you know, she's a five foot six goalkeeper, but just started for four years and been one of the SEC's best in you know during her time in college. And then as the, the Big Twelve schools that I mentioned already, I'm curious to see. Uh, I I went through all those schools and forgot failed to give Baylor a shout out for um, you know their run. I believe it was I can't remember if it was 2018 or 2019, but you know they made it to the quarterfinals and last you know, year's so it was 2017 and 2018. They had back to back run to the quarterfinals. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I I feel like I gave all this praise to the to the Big 12 and I didn't give Baylor a mention. So they're obviously not in the field, but can someone? kind of replicate that. Can Kansas, can West Virginia? Um, you know, I think if I had to pick one, Oklahoma State, they're missing one of their star players, Grace Yocum. If she was healthy, then maybe she could definitely make a difference in the final third. They're out in Los Angeles against, uh, you know, there's a USC-Texas A&M game. That should be a great one for people uh, if they're interested in checking that out on Friday at 4.30. And the team they play in the second round, actually, I should mention that. They're, I don't know. How would you classify Santa Clara as a perennial power, Jen? I'm not sure. But you know, they're uh, well, a team that people know. And y- yes, and, yes in that they, they have produced a steady stream of players who end up getting capped by the national team. Right. Though I remember, what is it, what, like four or five years ago where they didn't get in the tournament at all? And Jerry Smith was like, what? <laughs> yeah, um, you know they only he's, have that one championship to their name, yeah. but they are they are a perennial producer of top talent. Even if you yeah, don't call them a perennial have, power, 
Yeah, they have a great group. They don't have a seed, but they've 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 knocked off some big dogs in the past. You know, they beat Stanford at Stanford. I think this was going to be when was when did Andy Sullivan tear her ACL? Whatever year that was, that must have been <laughs> two years ago. Where, yeah, well, yeah, and so Andy Sullivan was in her junior season, and so that would have been 2016. Yeah, because she played in the college cup winning apologies for me thinking out loud on the air but you're <laughs> playing together yeah so they beat uh, they beat stanford after andy got that injury they beat stanford in overtime but then they flew all the way to bc and lost to georgetown georgetown making making it to the college cup that year so i think their their talent level i feel like deserves a seat their results were inconsistent they beat they lost to Stanford four to two, couldn't slow down the Cardinal, but you know, they beat UCLA earlier in the year and they bombarded Cal over the weekend but couldn't score, then finally cracked it open in overtime. You know, you look at a field with Santa Clara, Oklahoma State, USC and Texas A and M, and obviously the host team, the two seed, are going to be the favorite, but USC's I wouldn't say they struggle, but they've been you know, they lost Tara McCown. I'm not sure if she's going to play. That's the one thing that's also hard about this tournament, right? You have these coaches that either, you know, either there's just not media coverage of like, you know, nobody's going up to these coaches and asking who's healthy. And there's also the flip side of it where you probably keep your cards close to your chest, right? So, and I think that Santa Clara could surprise people if you're looking for a, a non-seeded team to make it to the quarterfinals and maybe surprise me. Um, but if I just pick them then maybe they wouldn't be a surprise so i i think that i'm curious to see if somebody can make an impression and make a surprise run here which i we could definitely see but history tells us that it's going to be a one or a two if we're talking college cup right right do you think uh this could finally be virginia's year i mean they are one of the number one seeds they've made it uh to the final four several times before made it to the final once I mean, they're one of those top programs, one of the few that doesn't have at least one title to their name. Yeah. So here's what I would say. I would say before Laurel Ivory broke her jaw, then they would definitely had a chance to win a national championship. But she was, uh, I don't know if you saw this in the ACC final, but it was a 50-50 ball. Carolina player goes in for the challenge and basically she got a head, headed in the face and is out for the tournament, unfortunately. So they have the firepower and they have the attacking, but to lose a player of that quality and goal, I think that was with no disrespect to the UVA team of, what was it? 2013, 14, 15. Right. You know, they have Laurel Ivory during that run. I feel like they come out with a national title. So, um, you know, when Morgan Ryan and Danielle Colaprico, I I got got to cover that team in person at multiple college cups, which was very exciting. And, one of the best college teams I've ever seen play live. So, you know, maybe they could definitely do it. They could still make the, uh, you know, they could definitely make the college cup and from there anything can happen, but it, it kind of like that depth depth piece I was talking about. They had players out. I'm not sure who's going to be back a second round matchup against Washington state could go a number of ways. While UVA is definitely heavy favorites. You know, the Cougars have played some really good teams this year and will be well-prepared. So um, I, I'm not going to go ahead and anoint them. I, I would lean more towards, like, a, your Stanford UCLA, maybe North Carolina winning it. But, um, I, you know, I'm not allowed to have 
teams that I support, or supposedly you're not to as a journalist, but I definitely root uh, for Steve Swanson and hope that his team can get over the hump this fall. And then looking ahead past the College Cup to uh, the NWSL draft, and we just got the announcement this week uh, that it'll be January 16th as part of the convention in Baltimore. Um, you know, who are your who are your favorites, uh, you know, for potential first rounders for the NWSL draft? Yeah, I mean, there'll be there'll be plenty of potential first rounders to watch. Um, I, I this will be just me listing a bunch of names, but I think that you know it's worth watching. Kaylee Rail at Penn State, they're playing Arizona on Friday night, and she just surpassed Becky Sauerbrunn's record of most minutes by an NCAA field player in U.N. women's soccer. So wow. you know, she has that kind of ability, and I mean that's that is a pretty notable accomplishment for sure. Um, and not that not to say she's going to walk straight into a NWL team or the full team, but a, a center back prospect to watch down the road. You know, somebody who doesn't get a lot of hub is Ciara King at NC State, a pretty dynamic shifty forward. I think she could be a really good NWSL player. And she, I'm not, I don't have her numbers in front of me. I think she's hit ten goals, at least ten goals every year. Uh, wow. EACC, and that's that's no mean feat. They get Arkansas. That'll be a really big test for her and for the program. The, you know, there there are another number of other players. I think the big question will be the likes of do, does a Jesse Fleming or Danny Castellanos, our team, our NWL team is going to stump up, and how is that going to work? To, I don't think Castellanos will stay. And you know, I don't I don't think she's quite as good as advertised, but she's still a good player. But from what I hear, she'll look to sign in Spain somewhere. Right, um, but especially because she requires an international slot. Yeah, and I think she put that out on social media recently. That the shame, you know, something about international players in the NWSL. So it would be hard to, as an NWSL team, to really stump up, even if, if she has more Instagram followers than most than the league itself. If I feel like the the money you're putting in is a big risk for an unproven player, even one that you know she's a she's a good prospect but you know if she starts and hits in spain then you, you you go spend that money right instead of risking that and then having to worry about if she'll work or not but, you know like i said jesse fleming is another one where does a canadian international stay does she go does the you know the game abroad might suit her a little bit better but i think she'd be fine and she'd be really good in nwsl so there you know there are there are a number of players out there a lot of up-and-coming talent. You know, Ella Stevens at Duke, I'm, I'm curious to see if she can handle the – she's very good, very technical player, very composed with the ball, but is she fast enough? You know, and then they'll go up against Wisconsin, who is a four Danny Rhodes, and they lost their star player, Victoria Pickett, in the spring where she suffered a gruesome knee injury. And mm-hmm. yet here Wisconsin is with a number three overall seed in the in their corner of the bracket. You know, there are a lot of players, Natalie Jacobs, Julia Bingham are at USC. They'll play Allie Watt at Texas A&M. So I think that if you are listening to this and you want to get an eye on first-round talent, definitely check out some of these games. I'm pretty sure most are are going to be available streaming in some capacity. But they, they were last not, weekend. Um, yeah. You know, whether it was college, the college's own stream, the conference's stream, or you had to have ACC Network Plus or, you know, ESPN Plus. But I was pleased to see that everything was one way or another, you know, there was a broadcast. 
Yeah, so then I think one more one more player slash matchup, Colorado at North Carolina. You have the six foot one Taylor Korniak is a very, very good player and a lot of college coaches would talk about her as can she play D one soccer in the midfield? Like is she good enough with her feet? And here she is four years later, great career. But now you have faced the question of, okay, well now what position do you play? She almost looks like Abby Wambach in the midfield. It's I don't know if you've ever seen her play, Jen, but it's it's interesting. And then in goal, you have Jalen Tompkins, another slightly undersized player. Not that I want to make it all about a, a size, but I'm sure pro teams are, are cognizant of it. Right. They're, they're going to be under, they're going to be under fire probably against the Tar Heels. And it would be a chance to make a massive statement for you know, again, hopefully they're not being evaluated by one-off games. And if they both have stinkers then it's not held against them, but yeah, it certainly would, would cause a lot of buzz if they, you know, had a shootout or, Tompkins stood on her head. You know, definitely people people take notice of the of the, those sorts of moments. You know, whether it's because they're posted online or just because they had a really high profile performance against a big team. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for these players, even if it shouldn't be. Again, you're not going to make your decisions based off of 90 minutes or 108 minutes or whatever in one one playoff game. But I do think there's something about a player's big game mentality can can they step up and make the plays that are necessary for a team to win well we've definitely seen it in, in the individual draft in the past that you know someone catching fire in november and december uh can definitely raise their value in the draft and we've also seen that that doesn't necessarily equate to a player being able to succeed over a very long nwsl season but i feel like there's more and more coverage of the women's college mm-hmm. game every year, at least at the division one level, um, yeah. you know, so, so that it's maybe a little bit easier for coaches to access, you know, video um, and just, and I think the coaches, the Anderson coaches are getting better at scouting each year. You know, the longer you've been around, you build more connections. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I just think the challenge is there's just so many programs, right. And so many yeah. stones to turn. And, you know, I love the story this year, of Bethany Balser making an impact in the division two program. And all we've been talking about is division one. And that that's hard enough to cover as it is, right. 333, <laughs> Division one programs, yeah. and that doesn't even get to Division two, junior college, Division three, right. you know, NIA, you know, it's, yeah. So it's it's an amazing landscape out there. But Travis, thank you so much for for taking the time, uh, you know, to talk about uh, the bracket and the tournament and and the college landscape. And you know, I have to say, I appreciate all the work you guys do on top drawer soccer. Cause it's so nice to be able to have a site to go to, to, <laughs> to yeah. get more information on, on a lot of the college players. No problem. Thank you so much for your kind words. And again, anytime I can jump on and provide any background or insight, I try to do my best. And I, I do think there'll be plenty of games to watch this, you know, NWSL fans are eager to get a, a sense of who could be kind of the next big player. You may not be able to see them because, as you said, Bethany Balser came from nowhere, but it's an exciting time of year and an opportunity to kind of get get ahead of the curve, get ahead of those NWSL staffs who are probably uh, catching up after the season ended, you know, last definitely, month. So definitely. It's, it's, uh, definitely worth hunting um, down live streams wherever they can be found.
right time to wrap it up with the back four. As we've talked about in this episode, the NCAA Division I tournament continues this weekend with a round of 32 and then the Sweet 16. Check out KeeperNotes.com for a complete list of games along with viewing information for each game. The tournament will ultimately conclude in San Jose the first weekend in December. Of course, the quarterfinals will be played before that over Thanksgiving weekend. For more info, just go to NCAA.com. And of course, Australia's W League is underway as well, with lots of current and former NWSL players on club rosters there. Looks like one game per week will be available live and via replay on ESPN+. So I highly recommend buying that service. It's just $5 a month, includes lots of soccer. Also suggest that you check out WLeague.com, which is w-league.com.au for info about streaming the other matches. Several look to be available live via the WLeague app. And then in late January, Olympic qualifying for CONCACAF kicks off in Texas. USA's group will be played. All those games will be played in Houston, Canada's groups. All the games will be played way down by the border in South Texas. And semifinals and final will be played in L.A. Tickets have now gone on sale. Check out ussoccer.com for ticketing info for the U.S. group games in Houston. And I just keep an eye on concacaf.com for other details. And that is just, you know, how to spell CONCACAF, C-O-N-C-A-C-A-F. And last, be sure to check out KeeperNotes.com as I've been adding more content, including galleries of photos from this year's NWSL games, lots of great stat links, and of course, stories for Woso nerds just like me. And be sure as well to keep an eye out for the Keeper Notes NWSL Almanac pre-order link that will be posted very, very soon. That's it for this episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who shares this podcast with other soccer fans they know. And many thanks, as always, to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's anybody's girl.